have questions about your health? A simple pill won't fix your problems. And there's so many points and opinions on the internet that a web search just leaves you more confused. So why not take the time and listen to those who know best? Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. Truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective right here and now. So let's bring it to your host, Dr. Jonathan Carp, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences. One zero seven seven The Bronx. One zero seven seven The Proudly nominated for National Association of Broadcasters 2019 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are live from Killarney's Public House Studios at Ryder University. Welcome to Health Four One One. I'm Dr. Jonathan Carp. The Ryder University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Ryder University Health Studies Institute communicates cross-disciplinary perspectives affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the business of healthcare. I am in the studio today with our producer, Antonia Conti, and our guest, Dr. Michael Seinberg from the Division of General and Internal Medicine at Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, where he's also director of the Rutgers Tobacco Dependency Program. Welcome, Dr. Steinberg. Welcome to Ryder University. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. And today we are going to talk about um, one of your areas of expertise. We are going to talk about smoking, vaping, which is very popular right now, and lung health. Uh, but before we launch into that, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this area of uh, medicine? Sure. So um, I'm from originally from Philadelphia, but uh, grew up and spent most of my life here in New Jersey. Uh, went to undergrad and uh, medical school here at Rutgers. Uh, spent a little more time in my uh, internal medicine training in Philadelphia. And uh, during that training, uh, started working with uh, one of the pulmonary doctors and psychiatrists down there. All of us were interested in tobacco use and how to prevent tobacco-related illness. So we started a uh, tobacco treatment program down at Jefferson uh, Hospital in Philadelphia and then had the opportunity in 2001 to return to Rutgers where the uh, Rutgers Tobacco Dependence Program was being created under funding through the Department of Health. So came back to Rutgers in 2001 to spend half my time in internal medicine at the medical school and the other half doing tobacco work, both uh, helping people quit smoking as well as doing some research and I've been there ever since. Okay, and it's the medical director of the Rutgers Tobacco Dependency Program. Yep. And I'm sure we will hear more about that and, and more about the kinds of uh, medicine and the science that's going on there. And so one of the things, I'll just go right to the essence of the matter, vaping. It's a very, very big thing right now. It's, we see it advertising in a lot of different ways. We see celebrities, we see it in sporting events, we see it all over the place. And one of the things I'm sure we're gonna come to is how the, the companies who are selling vaping products are promoting it, much like tobacco companies promoted things, you know, 100 years ago up until the regulations of the 1970s and 80s and sort of kick in. Can you tell us a little bit about what is vaping and how it is and may not be connected like to e-cigarettes? Yeah. Those kind of things? So, so, you know, in going back to these, these electronic products have been on the market here in the United States since about 2007. So it's, it's over a decade now, but it still seems very new. And, and a lot of that is because these products are changing uh, almost on a monthly basis. And again, from a public health standpoint, somebody who does tobacco work, um, the hope for these electronic products was that they could represent, they might represent a less harmful alternative 
to combusted tobacco. When we talk about combusted tobacco, we mean cigarettes, cigars, things that you burn. And, and we know that cigarettes are by far the most deadly form of tobacco in our society. Um, over half, almost half a million people each year die from tobacco use really? in the United States. And, and I think sometimes we, we get a bit numb to those numbers. They mm -hmm. just seem so big. So, so, you know, we can talk about that's the equivalent of three fully loaded 747s crashing each and every day, wow. 365 days a year. So that would certainly make the headlines. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when we hear half a million people die a year, it just kind of glosses over. So when you're, when you're talking about the, the most important preventable cause of death in our society, we're always looking for less harmful alternatives. So when electronic devices um, first hit the market, the idea was maybe these could provide nicotine, which is the addictive chemical, mm -hmm. but in a less harmful but without without also uh, providing the other thousands of other chemicals that are in the burned leaves exactly. so, and you, you use the word um, electronic delivery system so what does that mean yeah so so I mean there's there's a wide variety of these products um, there's there's uh, some of these e-cigarettes we call them siga likes so those are the ones that first came out they they look like cigarettes they're about the same shape and size of a cigarette they're mostly um, disposable they're the ones you buy at the you know convenience store a gas station um, and they're, you know, you use them and, and you dispose of them. The second generation products that came out uh, a few years after that are kind of the ones we, we talk about either as tanks or vapes. And, you know, those are the ones, you know, on college campuses, you find these vape shops mm -hmm. and you go, you can get um, these larger devices. Sometimes they look like small cameras um, and you get them filled with electronic liquid, so e-liquid. Okay. And you can kind of but choose these are basically flavors. battery operated devices. Battery operated, right. That, that when you turn it on, heat up whatever's in a chamber and burn what's in a chamber, and then the people breathe it in, much like they would breathe in a traditional cigarette. Is that That's correct? right. So, so there, right. So there's a most of all of these component, all of these products have a battery, a, a chamber that holds a liquid, and then a, a heating device that uh, heats it up. And it's, there's actually no burning involved. That's one of the differences between you know an e-cigarette and, and a regular combusted cigarette is there's no burning of tobacco. It's a heating of this liquid. It causes a aerosolization, and that that aerosol or vapor is what's inhaled. And I think the important thing is is people I think think of when they think about vapor they just think about oh this is just water vapor it's harmless mm -hmm. but I think it's important for people to know there are the same type of chemicals that we do see in uh, cigarette smoke found in in e-cigarette vapor um, they just tend to be at much lower levels than seen in combusted tobacco and there is no carbon monoxide which is a product of burning tobacco mm -hmm. and and you mentioned that when these things came out about a you know from 2007 or so, um, but there was promise. The idea was maybe there is a less addictive, more healthy alternative traditional cigarette smoking. Is that sort of the way these products have played out? Yeah, unfortunately, there was a lot of hope they could maybe uh, offer this less harmful alternative. What's actually turned out is instead of um, current adult cigarette smokers who were the target of these, you know, from a public health standpoint, mm -hmm. could be the target for these less harmful products. Um, these products are being used at very low rates among current adult cigarette smokers. As we all know, the people who are using these products at the highest rates are younger people who have never used other tobacco products. So we see um, in high school students, the past 30-day use of electronic devices um, is now as high as 27%. 
So over a quarter, over one in four of high school students have used an electronic device in the past 30, 30 days. And that's by far the highest level of any tobacco product use in, in history. And at the same time, the cigarette use rate among high school students has dipped to its lowest rate. Right. I read somewhere that, that there's studies that have been going on. They've been tracking cigarette use like in eighth graders, 10th graders, 12th graders. And to, traditional tobacco has been going down for decades. That's right. And then, you know, a dozen or so years ago, oh, my God. So, so what's what's happening? Yeah. And um, just to put it out there, um, we're talking about it in terms of um, tobacco delivery systems. Um, are people using these things strictly for tobacco or are people putting other um, potentially volatile substances in these devices? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the one of the biggest concerns and, and where we've seen the most recent media attention um, with with the uh, electronic uh, device lung injury is the majority of those cases were people who are using THC um, in vaping devices, and the biggest problem is people are modifying those products. So it's not it's not for for the most recent lung injuries that have that have hit the media. Mm-hmm. Um, these are not the electronic devices that people are buying commercially over the counter. Um, these are devices that people have gotten from other people. They've modified or manipulated them. They've added other chemicals. Um, such as vitamin E oils and other yeah, we, additives. I, I want to get yeah, to that, that in later, so later Those are the things that, that have been problematic. And so people are buying these devices and they're modifying the mechanical product themselves and they're putting things into these devices that the devices not a bit, might not have been originally designed for. Exactly. And, exactly. And, and, and we're sure we're going to get to some of those things. And so why are breathing these things bad for you? Yeah. So, so as I mentioned, you know, I, I think there's a misperception that when you talk about vaping devices, that uh, we're just talking about inhaling harmless water vapor, and there are chemicals in um, in e-cigarette aerosol that are the same kind of chemicals that come from tobacco, and then nicotine, of course, is one of the most addictive substances in our society, and these products deliver um, significant levels of nicotine, especially as we can talk later about products like Juul, which are more advanced products. Mm-hmm. They can deliver uh, the same levels of nicotine, if not higher, than people can get from combusted cigarettes. So these are not, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, safe or harmless products. Yeah, and that, that's something that, that is touching on a lot of what we're talking about, because we've seen celebrities advertise these things. They're certainly on, you know, cars that are racing around. They're on people's clothes, their shirts. There's a lot of advertising going on, and a lot of the advertising does target younger people, right? And um, we certainly want to continue this, this, this conversation. We're going to talk about some of the additives and things that are in these things. We will talk about addiction and what that is and how you go about treating people after we take a break for some underwriting announcements. You are listening to Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. A dose of knowledge a day keeps a doctor away. Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. And back with your daily dosage is Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences. 1077 The Bronx, 1077 The Live from the Killarney's Public House Studios, you're listening to Health 411. 
I'm Dr. Jonathan Karp in the studio today, talking with Dr. Michael Steinberg from the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and the Rutgers Tobacco Dependency Program. And we are talking about vaping and lung health. And one of the things about vaping that I, I want to ask you about is some of the terminology that's used. And uh, I was mentioning in the break to you, I was talking to my son, and I, you know, just saying, oh, I have this guest coming on who's an expert in, you know, pulmonary medicine and addiction, and we're going to talk about vaping. And he started going through these lists of things, like the, like the words, the vernacular related to vaping. He was using words like jewel, pen. Um, vape mods. What are what are all these things that we're talking about? And we'll come back to the the, the addiction and the medical part of it a little bit. Yeah. So so these products, there, there's many different terms out there, and honestly, the terms are changing almost faster than than we can keep up with. So all of these products fall under the largest category of electronic nicotine delivery systems. E-cigarettes. Well, ENDS. ENDS is the ENDS? largest. E N D S. Oh, so okay. electronic nicotine delivery systems is. That, that would include everything we're talking about. Okay. So e-cigarettes are a type of product that falls under that, um, and, and there are, there are uh, ones that you can buy pre-filled, disposable. There, you can go to a vape shop and get your tank filled with e-liquid, and you can also purchase kind of these newer generation products such as Juul. So Juul is a, a brand name of a product. The, the thing that distinguishes Juul from other products is it contains... Um, pods that you insert into the device and they contain instead of nicotine as a liquid it's a nicotine salt and that product is able to deliver much higher levels of nicotine when using than the conventional when, so when it's heated products. up right it's a smokeless nicotine delivery system yeah. and now there's and then there's knockoffs on jewel so you'll see kind of um pod-like devices that are advertised. They look just like Juul. Juul is something, if you looked at Juul or you looked at a lot of these newer devices, um, you would not recognize them as tobacco products at all. They look like flash drives. Yeah, they I've look seen like, that, yes. Exactly. So, so there's you can now, hide them. You, you know. can hide them. Right. The, the amount of vapor as opposed to the tanks that you get these big clouds of vapor that come out of your mouth. Um, Juul and, and the, the pod uh, devices deliver very low visible vapor. So that's why the concern of using these products in school um, is, is a big issue. So you might be next to somebody who's using one of these and you can't smell it. Yep. As, 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 exactly. As and, and, and again, getting to getting back to the public health issues, we don't know what the um, yep. public health risks of being exposed to secondhand aerosol from electronic devices are. Right. So is it, not to put words in your mouth, but is it wrong to think that the, the people who are using these things now are the guinea pigs yeah. as studies and data is collected for understanding like what these vaping products do? Yeah, I guess what I would say is that the, the, the problem with such a new product that's changing so rapidly is that the, um, the use of the products is far outpacing our science. So we're trying to learn as quickly as possible what the health impact of these products are, how addictive they are, and what the consequences in terms of do people who use these products as young uh, as young people become long-term cigarette smokers? One of, one of the biggest concerns, becoming addicted. So um, we just don't know. We're trying to learn as quickly as we can, but I think the, the these products have exploded so rapidly that it's outpacing our ability to right. understand and, them. And one of the things I think that people are realizing is these products are not benign. And in, I'm just looking at a report in December of 2019, there were 54 deaths and more than 2,500 vaping-related hospitalizations related to use of these products um, 
in the United States. Absolutely. So yeah. that, that would suggest that these things are not benign. They're not. And I think that's one of the most important takeaway messages that for, for a current adult cigarette smoker, if they're to switch completely to these products, maybe they're reducing their own individual harm. But these products by themselves, um, for someone who's never used cigarettes and starts using these products, especially young people, um, they are not harmless products. They are not safe by any stretch of the imagination. And one of the places you started was the idea that the, the, the hope was that these products would be used to help break the, the addiction cycle with nicotine. Yeah. Um, are the, is the data supporting that? Yeah. So, so, so far, you know, we don't know, um, there's not as strong evidence that these products um, are the most effective means for people to quit cigarette smoking. So we have FDA approved tobacco treatment uh, interventions, uh, nicotine replacement, varenicline, bupropion that have been shown in hundreds of clinical trials over decades to be safe and effective. The data for e-cigarettes and these vaping products to help uh, current adult cigarette smokers quit is still is still pretty thin. So what I would say in our in our tobacco treatment program, um, if someone's trying to quit smoking, um, I'd much rather them use the the proven and safe and effective treatments than use electronic products. That being said, there are people who are using them. There are people who have used e-cigarettes and these kind of devices to quit smoking. And if they're successful, they have probably reduced their harm going from just cigarettes to just electronic products. The problem is a lot of people also continue to use both. And I did not to not to get into all numbers, but I did look at some of the literature and it looked like somewhere between one in five and one in six people who'd use the the electronic delivery methods do are able to quit. Yep. But the vast majority of people continue to do both. Right. Um, and, and we and don't know we yeah. we really don't uh, have any evidence that there's reduced harm to health for people who continue to use right. both combusted tobacco and electronic products. So it's still a drug delivery system. Absolutely. It's just, a, it's in a different form. And um, one of the reasons this, this drug delivery system has is, is made the, the national news is because when people smoke cigarettes, you might usually have to smoke for decades before cancer and all the, the nasty stuff that happens. You said it is a, a major contributor to a lot of health problems for people in the United States and worldwide. But some of these people who are vaping have not been vaping for 20 or 30 years, and they're still being hospitalized and things like that. Yeah. And, so, and you mentioned vitamin E acetate. Why is vitamin, oh my God, it's a vitamin. How can that be a potentially dangerous thing for my lung physiology. Yeah, the real interesting thing about these uh, electronic delivery products is um, even even the, the chemicals that are found in them, like the flavorings, like you would think, you know, how dangerous could a flavoring be? The important thing to remember is that these devices are, the, the chemicals that are found them, in them, like flavorings, were developed to be eaten, not to be inhaled. So um, flavorings that are exposed, that, that should be exposed to the, the GI tract, the right. stomach, um, which would be perfectly harmless in the stomach, um, when they're exposed to sensitive lung tissue, they can cause a lot of damage. And especially when you're talking about oils like, um, like vitamin E, which is an oil, it's right. a lipid-based right. vitamin. Right. Um, getting oils into your lung tissue is very dangerous. It causes a lot of inflammation, causes a lot of a reaction that can cause some significant lung damage. So it's really the point of inhaling something that was meant to be ingested. Right. And and why are those products are put into vaping? Yeah. So again, of... it's really important to remember that that the overwhelming majority of these these um, e-cigarette vaping acute lung injury evali, mm. which has been what's in the news, um, are in products that are not the commercially prepared ones. These are these are people who are uh, getting these devices 
adding things to them that shouldn't be in them, manipulating them. So the the purpose of, you know, there's many different purposes. Obviously, people are using THC for, for many reasons, but they add other chemicals to extend the, uh, the, the you know, effect. The, the effect. Right. Well, well like THC that. is a, a lipid-soluble molecule. Exactly. Then you have this lipid-soluble vitamin derivative that sort of keeps it in, in, in a exactly. state to burn. And then you're putting that into your lung tissue, which is not a good place to, right. to have our, our lungs were not designed to be able to take care of these oils. And exactly. Things. And that, exactly. I can imagine not being an expert in lung physics, like that could interfere with the ability of the, the cells in the lung to exchange oxygen. Absolutely. You're, you're right on the money. So that, and the other thing that's made, that's made these cases especially alarming is that the, the majority, not all, but the majority of these People are otherwise young, healthy people. Mm -hmm. And when you have a group of young, healthy people who are ending up hospitalized yeah. from lung injury and, and dying, um, it, it, is, it is dramatic. So, so I guess that, that's what put it on people's radar. Absolutely. Otherwise yeah. healthy, you know, teenagers and 20-year-olds showing up with these problems. And is there a, a possibility, too, that to get a certain dose of nicotine in a cigarette, you might have had to smoke a certain number of cigarettes, but now you can basically deliver that amount of nicotine faster and in a higher concentration too. Yeah, when you when you were talking about the products like Juul, um, the amount of nicotine that can be delivered from, from a single pod can be um, higher than a pack's worth of cigarettes. So so you can deliver wow. high amounts of nicotine from these these products that um, that we haven't seen before in the other electronic How long devices. does it take someone to to smoke one of those pods. Yeah, it depends. Like like any of these products, you know, the the amount that people use is highly variable. So some people are some people are using these these uh, electronic devices just a couple times a day. Some people the one problem compared to combusted cigarettes is people carry them around with them 24 hours a day. They're sleeping with their Juul devices in their <laughs> hand and right. which you couldn't really do with a lit it's cigarette. A um, so we're seeing people come to our treatment program um, who are using these products throughout the day and night. Wow, and you, and it's now you don't have to go outside a restaurant. You don't have to go outside a bar. Yeah. You don't have to go outside your house to, to smoke this stuff. The, the good it. news is, although not always adhered yeah. to, here in New Jersey, the the uh, e-cigarette fall under the Clean Indoor Air Act, so oh, you're not really. really supposed to be able to use these products in places that you can't smoke. Oh, wow. But but it's harder to detect. It's harder to enforce. Wow. And they are just as addictive. So real quickly, before we have to take a break, I want to follow up in the next segment talking about addiction. But you have a quick way to end the segment. Tell us why is nicotine so bad in terms of that? Yeah, nicotine is by far the most addictive substance in our society. We'll talk about nicotine's effect on the brain and dopamine and how it's one of the most rewarding chemicals uh, we know Excellent. of. Excellent segue. So we're going to take a few breaks for underwriting announcements. You are listening to Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. From healthcare to the environment around us and everything in between, Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences, is here expanding your knowledge and perspective. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, live from McLarney's Public House Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. We are in the studio today talking with Dr. Michael Steinberg from the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and the Rutgers Tobacco Dependency Program. At the end of the last segment, we were introducing the idea of how vaping and the, the delivery system of nicotine is addictive, and it is potentially as addictive or more addictive as traditional cigarettes. And so from the context of somebody who works with patients and helps 
treat these things. Can you tell us a little bit about nicotine? Because nicotine is not just working in the brain for addiction. You mentioned it's working in different aspects of our physiology. Can you tell us a little bit about addiction and yeah. Run with that. Please. Absolutely. So nicotine, you know, nicotine is a chemical that's found naturally in the tobacco uh, leaves. It's actually a pesticide. Mm -hmm. It's insecticide uh, by nature. And um, one of the effects nicotine has in the brain is it's highly addictive. It it activates parts of the brain. Again, you're you're more of an expert than I am in this, but the, the reward pathways of the brain, the nucleus accumbens, the ventral tegmental area, these are parts of the brain that are common, and they're the parts that get activated by many substances of abuse. So whether you're talking about alcohol, cocaine, um, opiates, and nicotine, they affect the same pathways in the brain, and it releases a chemical in the brain called dopamine. Dopamine is one of the neurotransmitters in the brain that causes that rewarding effect. And when you look at um, the, the effect of nicotine and that rewarding effect, when we compare other substances, um, uh, tobacco, alcohol, cocaine, heroin, um, nicotine is the most addictive substance. One out of three people who ever try a cigarette um, are going to become long-term users, and that's a proportion that's higher than any of the other substances. So um, experimenting with nicotine-containing products is very dangerous because of how addictive nicotine is. And part of that's age-dependent, too, I would suspect. If you if you try it when you're a teenager, the probability of you becoming addicted is uh, much higher than if an old guy like me decided, oh, I'm going to try it. Absolutely. And we know that not only from humans, but also from animal studies, mm -hmm. that, that adolescent uh, rats, when exposed to nicotine, are much more likely to become addicted long-term than, than adults. And we see the same effects in, in humans. And that's why um, it's so concerning, because it's just natural that younger people are going to be experimenting with these, yeah. with these substances. And that's exactly who the tobacco companies and the companies that are selling these vaping products, they target. Yep. They target young people and sporting events and all the things that... The, celebrities and macho and sexy, you know, all the ads that we've all seen. Yep. Absolutely. And so the, the effect of nicotine, though, is not just in the brain. You, met, you mentioned it's a naturally occurring product that's in tobacco leaves. It's an insecticide because when insects would eat the tobacco plant, the insects feel a little bit weird. <laughs> and most animals, they feel a little bit weird, say, oh, I'm going to avoid this plant in the future. Yep, that's right. um, but uh, humans are a little bit different. Yes, yeah. humans are different, and and I think I think people, especially young people, when they um, are just experimenting with different products, um, different substances in our society, nobody expects to become addicted. Nobody plans, you know, I'm going to start using Juul, and and I'm going to expect to be using Juul for the next thirty years. Um, nobody nobody expects to be addicted, but these chemicals are so addictive that even even if you're trying to be cautious with them. You can become addicted, and and the concern is that you know are the uh, people who become addicted to nicotine through electronic devices going to end up using other tobacco products, which are even more dangerous, like combusted cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Is there any evidence that um, the the e-cigarettes and the vaping devices are uh, what they used to call entry level? Um, devices to other kinds of addiction and other kinds of drugs. Yeah, that's one of the biggest concerns from a public health standpoint is that is that our electronic device is kind of a gateway to other tobacco products. And interestingly, um, there, although there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of contested debate in that in that uh, on that question, um, the evidence is not so strong. What we what we generally see is people who use electronic devices, especially young people. Um, tend to be the same people who experiment with many different types of tobacco. So even though we're spending a lot of time today talking about electronic devices, which is which is important, um, it's important to remember there's a wide variety of other tobacco products, and things like cigars 
and smokeless tobacco are products that kind of fall off our radar screen, but those are products, especially cigars, that are used at very high rates among young people too. So, so young people who experiment with with uh, one tobacco product are more likely to experiment with multiple tobacco products. So it might not be that young people who use e-cigarettes are going to be more likely to end up smoking cigarettes. It may just be that those people are more likely to use different types is, of tobacco Is that products. what we used to call poly-drug? Poly-substance poly use, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. Oh, very, very, very interesting. And um, just to put it out there, um, one of the things that nicotine does besides binding to, not that our brains have nicotine in it, but the, 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 the nicotine binds to a receptor system that we already have in our brain for acetylcholine, and we don't have to go into the neuroscience yep. of it, but it also does DNA damage. Yep. And so there can be the potential for long-term increases in lung cancer and the kind of things that hopefully over time have been declining. But like I said, the people who are doing this now, 15, 20 years, 30 years later, who knows? Right, that's a big problem. I think. I think again, when you're talking about young, healthy people, um, they're certainly not. Not only are they not thinking about becoming addicted to a substance, mm -hmm. but they're certainly not thinking about long-term health effects. And and we know what the long-term health effects are of other combusted tobacco product in terms of heart disease, stroke, lung disease, cancer. Um, we just don't know yet. These products are still so new on the, on the scene that we don't know what the long-term health effects are. We do know already that obviously the, the acute lung injury that we've been talking about, but even more, more intermediate term uh, health effects. We know that there are chemicals in e-cigarette aerosol that can cause DNA damage. Uh, we know that there's chemicals that can cause other inflammatory responses in the lung like asthma. Um, and, and we know that these chemicals are also, they're poisons if they're ingested or gotten on the skin. So a lot of times we, have, we see toddlers and young children who are getting into oh, e-liquid and drinking it and it's a toxic substance. So there's a lot of wow. unanticipated health consequences. Right. I can imagine if you leave these things around and a toddler would ingest one, eat yep. one, yep. that could be a, a, a real toxic. It could be devastating. Yeah, it yep. could be devastating. And the, the changes in physiology um, are not always fixable. That's, that's, that's sort of what, they that's might right. not be recognized right away, but that doesn't mean they're not there. That's right. I think I think we're going to know again as time goes on. We're going to know in the next five years, ten years, what the longer term effects of these e-cigarette uh, e electronic devices are. And I, I don't think anybody would think that inhaling an aerosol that contains chemicals, nicotine, toxins, and flavorings is going to be good for you. So mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised that there are going to be some adverse health effects. The question is, what's the magnitude? Yeah, but people still do it. It's amazing, isn't it? Yep. People are people. We, people are. We do things for, um, for people. So when we talk about addiction to cigarettes, which is what your training is, and now potentially addiction to the nicotine from these e-things, is are the treatments the same? I want to come back to the what could someone expect if they decide to seek treatment yeah, for addiction. That's a really great question. So so we run a, a tobacco treatment program up in New Brunswick at Rutgers. There's actually the as an aside the. The New Jersey Department of Health has recently, in the past year, funded uh, 10 tobacco treatment programs throughout the state. So depending on where you are in New Jersey, you can go to um, uh, tobaccofreenj.com and look for a local tobacco treatment program uh, that offers free of charge uh, tobacco treatment. And, and those programs, including the one at Rutgers, uh, is able to treat any tobacco product. So whether we're talking about cigarettes, cigars, smokeless tobacco, or electronic devices, um, uh, these programs can offer treatment. 
the the information that we have in terms of the effectiveness of tobacco treatments in for cigarettes and smokers tobacco is much we just have much more information because they've been around mm -hmm. longer but the the principles the evidence-based treatments that we use for all of those tobacco products apply to electronic devices also so we'll use nicotine replacement products we use behavioral counseling we have uh, we do individual as well as group treatment um, and help people with their with their tobacco dependence, whether it's <clears throat> excuse me electronic products or combusted cigarettes. If somebody suspects they have an addiction, it might be to just nicotine alone, but it also might be uh, nicotine in combination with other potentially addictive substances. Is there a hierarchy of treatment that you might look at? Yeah, I mean, the, some of the, the things we do as part of our as part of our intake is we we will do an assessment to kind of measure how dependent an individual person is. So there are some people who um, use tobacco products, whether they're electronic devices or, or cigarettes, um, just, you know, on the weekends when I'm out with my friends. And there are people, like I said, who use these products continuously. And the level of dependence will, will um, correlate with your difficulty in quitting the product as well as the strength of cravings and withdrawal symptoms. So someone who's using products more intensely, more frequently, we're going to treat them more aggressively in terms of our medications, our counseling, and how quick, how uh, frequently we're so going to So it's not just trying to switch one addiction for another. Not one addiction for the other, and it's not a one-size-fits-all treatment plan for anybody. Okay, so it sounds like it's very personalized depending on people's background Absolutely. and things like that. And do you find in, in the treatment of people who, who have addictions that um, uh, that your, oops, your success rates match those that are in the published literature, or are you consistent with what's Yeah, I mean, there? we see, in our program, we see very highly dependent people, so they're, they're kind of people who are using multiple tobacco mm -hmm. products they've been using for decades. They have other comorbidities, like both medical as well as psychiatric um, illnesses, mm -hmm. and despite that, with, with our evidence-based treatment, we're able to help a significant proportion. Our six-month quit rates are as high as 35 or 40 percent, which is higher. You know, the CDC says that if you can get about 20 to 25 percent of people to quit long-term, you're, you're doing a pretty good job. So we're, um, if, you're, if we're offering intensive enough treatment, um, people can quit, even if they've been using these products for a long well, time. Well, that's excellent, and, is, and that's an evidence-based you know, you're not creating these things. You're, you're using what's worked. Absolutely. Um, we will follow that up um, after some brief underwriting announcements. You are listening to Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. A dose of knowledge a day keeps a doctor away. Rider University's Health Studies Institute presents Health 411. And back with your daily dosage is Dr. Jonathan Carr, Professor of Biology, Behavioral Neuroscience, and Health Sciences. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, live from the Killarney's Public House Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Dr. Jonathan Karp in the studio with Dr. Michael Steinberg, talking about nicotine, addiction, lung health, and vaping. And um, we're talking a little bit about addiction at the end of the last segment. And um, unfortunately, business is good at Dr. Steinberg's uh, clinics that are part of the Rutgers Tobacco Dependency Program. Can you tell us a little bit, where, where do you see the future going in, in terms of um, this sort of, this need that society has? Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. Ever since, um, you know, we, we've, we've been in, the tobacco dependence program has been treating people since uh, 2000. And, um, you know, we, we see people who are using all kinds of tobacco products. Um, we're, we're offering uh, evidence-based treatment. It's free of charge. And a lot of people are, are being successful in quitting. So if you can get there and you, you are indeed there. addicted, 
you, you, you and your staff will treat people. Absolutely. And I think it's really important. I, I think the, the, the point is um, a lot of times people don't think of getting help with tobacco use as something you get help for. It's just if I want to quit smoking, I'm just going to do it on my own. Yeah, it's, easy, I, it's easy to do. I've done it 20 do. times. Exactly. Yeah. And when you look at the data, um, people who try to quit cold turkey on their own, they're, they're less than 5% successful long-term. Okay. So if you're able to utilize evidence-based treatment, you can get that those quit rates as high as 35, 40%. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's eight times what it would be if you tried to do it on your own. Um, but more recently, we're seeing people who are addicted to these electronic and vaping devices, uh, something we hadn't seen previously. So I think with the, with the media attention in terms of the health effects of electronic devices, um, people are, are, who are using them are, are wanting to quit. They're finding that they're having a difficult time quitting so we're seeing people come to our program um, for, for help. And like I said, um, you don't have to come all the way to New Brunswick. The Department of Health has uh, tobacco treatment programs throughout the state. They can be found on the tobaccofreenj.com website. Um, and also there's a New Jersey quit line that people can call and get help with any tobacco product use. Yeah, so if you recognize the, the, the potential of, ha of having an addiction, um, there are mechanisms that one could either seek out uh, help or have a family member help you do that or a concerned one. You, you pointed out sort of the, the people have created sort of this market of these vaping products and they're selling things. Remember, their job is not to create healthy things, but to make money for their the shareholders and the yeah. business owners and stuff like that. And they're certainly allowed to do that. Um, is there a, either in New Jersey or nationally, or are there efforts to change the laws um, for these products? Yeah, so so the FDA, uh, you know, remarkably, in the first 250 years of our uh, country or so, just under, um, the FDA had not had any regulatory authority over tobacco products at all. So, so there was no regulation over tobacco products. Just in the past uh, number of years, the FDA has authority over tobacco products. They can regulate them, and that's why we've seen changes in terms of uh, marketing and advertising. Mm -hmm. These electronic products, they do fall under the FDA's jurisdiction, but how that's going to be rolled out is still in the work. So we know that uh, electronic devices can't be sold to people under 18. Um, that's a good thing. And there are some limitations that are going on in terms of the packaging. So electronic devices have to carry a warning label. Mm -hmm. Those warning labels are pretty mild these days. There's something to the effect of this product contains nicotine, and nicotine is addictive. Is it similar to what's on cigarettes? So maybe even a little, a little, little softer. Really just talking about the nicotine part, not yeah. the health of, uh, impact. Okay. Um, but how these products are marketed to young people, how they're advertised, because those restrictions that we see for cigarettes don't yet fully apply to electronic devices. That's why you're still seeing TV ads for electronic yes, devices. You, you see with celebrities, ad, with celebrities, very exactly. sexy celebrities right. doing all the things. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you're, you know, do we want these products advertised, especially to markets where young people are, are viewing? Because um, these products are just as addictive, especially the jewel type products that deliver high levels of nicotine. Um, so I think what we're going to see over the next few years is the FDA exerting its authority. The problem is a lot of these devices, especially the commercially um, sold devices uh, like like the Sigalikes and even Juul are either owned wholly or partially by cigarette companies. So the overwhelming majority of these products are owned by cigarette companies. So they have a multi-billion dollar industry behind them in terms of fighting the FDA wow. on new laws, new regulations, new policies. Um, so if, you know, the, on this discussion around flavored e-cigarette bans, around restricting, uh, restricting where you're selling them, a lot of these are going to get pushback from the cigarette companies that have unlimited resources to fight these. And it's going to be fought the same way the cigarette companies fought regu regulation, you know, 
50 years ago um, kind of stuff. And they have a lot of experience in advertising. They have Absolutely. a lot of very a lot of experience in lobbying and a lot of money. That's and the thing money, is yeah. they have a lot of money to back up their uh, their their push. Yeah. And so one of the things that drove the cigarette industry years back, I remember saying, you know, it's like a product that you make for a dollar and you sell for 15. Um, is the vaping industry sort of the same idea? Yeah, I'm sure. Again, I don't, I don't know how much money they're making, but you, you can imagine that if you're selling a product that is addictive, it's a, a perfect setup to have your consumers continue to use that mm -hmm. product. So from a public health standpoint, it's a horrible yeah. thing. But from a from a profit standpoint, um, that's why cigarette companies and, and again, like I said, these companies yeah. are now selling electronic devices um, are making – it's basically a license to print money because they're selling a product that's addicting. Um, yeah, the from, the, from, the, from the outside looking in, having seen these commercials um, – you know, on TV, the, the stuff that I watch, they never say stop using them. What they say is switch, switch right. from brand A to brand B. Yep. And we've <laughs> even seen with restrictions, especially with Juul, if you look at the early Juul advertisements, they were all young people who, you know, again, if you just look at the ad, are these teenagers, are these young adults? Not clear. Mm -hmm. Um, from the from the pushback that these companies have gotten, we're now seeing what you're describing more advertising towards adults, you know, clearly older adult people who are cigarette smokers who are saying, oh, you can use this as an alternative to your cigarettes. So you're seeing that shift to try to protect themselves from right. a lot of the... But as you mentioned, people often do both. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So these products have become a reality in our society. They're not tangential anymore. They're affecting middle schools, high schools, college students, and adults. You're a healthcare practitioner. Yeah. You're concerned about people's health and well-being. What advice do you have for people in society as we become more, as these things become more and more um, pervasive yeah. and available? I think, I think there's a lot of things we need to keep in mind. So number one, it's really important that people understand that these electronic devices, these vaping products are not safe. They're not harmless. Um, they contain chemicals, they contain nicotine, they're addictive, um, and, and they can cause health effects that we just aren't aware of. Um, as of yet. The other thing that's important is that we do need regulation. So um, I think most people would, uh, would support some common sense regulation. So we don't want uh, these products to be sold to 12, 13-year-olds. So I think restricting where these products are sold may be a good policy move. So for example, um, maybe these products shouldn't be sold in convenience stores where young people can, mm -hmm. can shop. Maybe they, these products should only be sold in um, places where you have to be 21 to enter, like tobacco shops, like um, you know, those, those, mm -hmm. kind of, those kind of places. Um, there needs to be better uh, regulation in terms of at the at the point of sale, so ID validation. So there are some places where you need to scan a person's driver's license before the cash register will open up to allow oh, you to sell okay. a jewel or or an electronic product. Um, those kind of things make it harder for young people to get these products. Um, we have not to look, impossible, but not harder because people get alcohol, people still get cigarettes. Absolutely, just harder. Um, and the enforcement of that, you know, and the fines for for um, retailers that sell to young people should be much higher. The licensing fees that people have to pay to sell these products should be higher. And then in terms of restrictions on advertising to young people and even the flavorings, I think the issue around flavorings yeah. needs to be explored. And that, more. that's as you were talking, that was going through my head because not all these products contain nicotine. Some of them just contain these chemicals that 
taste have taste and smell to them. Right. So we need to we I mean we need to learn more from a scientific standpoint, but I think some of those things need to be need to be put into place. And then for people who are addicted, I think it's important that they know that there's help out there to get help, you know, to get help in in quitting these products that nicotine from these products is just as addictive as nicotine from cigarettes and that uh, if they if they're looking for help, they can either call the the quit line or utilize the tobacco treatment services that are provided through the Department of Health. And so what I'm gathering from what you're saying is there's really nothing to be feared. If you have an addiction to a nicotine product or one of these things, one shouldn't fear seeking out treatment. Absolutely. You seem very positive yeah, about instead that. Of, instead, I mean, there's stigma behind any addiction, and mm-hmm. I think it's really important for people to understand that there's nothing, you know, addiction is, it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of you're a bad person. It's brain chemistry. And when you're exposed to a highly addictive chemical like nicotine, um, a certain proportion of the population is, beca- is going to become addicted, and there's, there's nothing to fear about that. There's treatments out there to help you. It's not easy. I'm not, I'm not trying to paint a picture of quitting smoking or quitting any addictive substance is easy, but the treatments do exist out there. We can help people, and they can successfully quit. That's, that's really, really good news. And in the case of um, a nicotine addiction, it's not like somebody who might have a heroin addiction or a cocaine addiction where those addictions pull you away from your job, pull you away from society. And somebody with a nicotine addiction could be walking alongside of you yeah. in the supermarket shopping and— and for some, for some people, that's, that's what makes it even harder to quit these products because they're freely available. In other words, you go into the supermarket, you go into the convenience store, the gas mm-hmm. station, there's cigarettes yeah. everywhere. So you don't, it's, have, it's you don't have to buy harder. it in the dark you alley. You don't have to buy it in the dark alley. Yeah. And that sometimes can make it harder for people. But it, I, I, I just want to tell people, we see people who have been using these products for decades um, who quit successfully each and every day. That's, that's really, really good news. That's a good place for us to sort of end this segment and end the program. Uh, 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, live from the Clarney's Public Cast Studios. Thank you for listening to Health 411. This program is part of the Ryder University Health Studies Institute's efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of healthcare. I hope today's program has helped inform you about vaping, addiction, and lung health um, with Dr. Michael Steinberg. I'd like to thank him. He is the medical director at the Rutgers Tobacco Dependency Program. As we heard, anybody in the state is welcome to find there or some of the sister organizations around the state. Thank you, Dr. Steinberg. It's been thank a pleasure talking to you. If you have questions and or comments about this program or the Health Studies Institute at Rider University, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. Thank you for taking the time to listen to your health with Health 411. Dr. Jonathan Karp is here from Rider University's Health Studies Institute every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information about the Health Studies Institute's programs, call 609-896-5093. That's 609-896-5093. Or find their webpage on rider.edu under Academics and Academic Programs. Be sure to tune in every week to expand your knowledge and perspective. And don't forget to stay healthy. 